Hey guys, Banning Leapshire here. Man, it was such an honor to be with the Upper Room in Dallas on Sunday. What God is doing in that place is profound. He truly is awakening his church into his presence, into his power. Listen, we took some time on the message and really just talked through something that I think we all need to wrestle with as believers. And that's being able to answer the question, what does success look like for the child of God? I think if we can't answer that question, then we won't know how to hit the mark. Paul actually knew how to answer that question. He knew what the mark was when he said, I don't run aimlessly and I don't box as a fighter just beating the air. Paul knew what the finish line was. He knew what the mark was to hit. And I believe as Christians, we also need to be able to answer that question. So we took some time with that. And I'm convinced that success in the kingdom looks like faithfulness and obedience in a world that sees it differently. So listen, tune in, check it out. You aren't going to want to miss it. Such an honor to be with Upper Room. Guys, I'm so grateful for you. Uh, I want to share a couple of things real quick. And, um, and I, I had a few things. It's interesting tonight that, uh, that Christine's here. Christine... Uh, uh, when did we first met? I'm going to tell a story real quick, but when did we first meet in San Francisco? How old would you have been? Yeah, 22. I was thinking about Christine because I was in this room tonight. Will you let me ramble for a few minutes before I get into the word? Yeah? You don't have a choice. I have the microphone. Plus, it's been an hour and 40 minutes already, and you're still here, so we'll be fine. I was at Bethel where we had really long services, and I remember going down to Southern California one time in Orange County, all bougie land down there, and quick services. And I remember a guy telling me, he goes, I was just at a service. He goes, it was revival. He said it lasted two hours. That's what he said. I was like, wow. When I first met Christine, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tie a Christine story. They don't tell publicly much. I don't know if I've ever told it publicly, actually. I'm sure I have somewhere, but into this place. And I wanna tell you something I saw, Michael. But uh, when I first met Christine, we, I, was doing a, uh, I was doing a conference with Lou Engle in San Francisco. And I don't know, the room held 300 or something. And Lou spoke the night before and the room was packed. I spoke the next morning and like 30 people came. <laughs> so it was like 30 people in this room. But Christine was leading worship. And she was there, uh, you know, just pounding away with this group in a little, in a house on Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco in this prayer room. 22 years old, and she was up there, and, and I'd never met her. And as she was leading worship, you could just feel this purity on her. And, and, um, and I, I saw, I had this picture of this underground river that was flowing underground, and it was uh, being purified by rocks and roots. And then it popped up above ground. And so the Lord told me, he said, she won't be underground much longer. And uh, so I, that's when I went up and said, hey, you want to do an album? And I don't even know why you said yes. You're like, I guess, all right. Uh, do you remember this? I said, you want to do an album? You're like, well, my church raised like $1,000 for me. And, um, <laughs> but this is, this is what I actually felt tonight. I felt the same thing in this room tonight with purity. And um, I, I felt like, Michael, here's what, let me, if, let me ramble a little bit, Michael, with what I feel. There, there's a purity in this movement. The test, though, is not when you're underground. It's not hard to stay pure underground. It's when God begins to give you exposure that all of a sudden the test of success sets in. 
And what I saw was, this isn't a warning, or this isn't a warning, I, Michael knows this stuff, I, upper room leadership knows this stuff, but this is what I felt. I felt like you guys were going to be an example of what it looks like to fight and stay in a place of purity. In purity of, in purity of motivation, purity of relationships, and purity of mission. And I felt like the Lord was going to give you, I felt like strategically the Lord was going to give the leadership in you in particular real strategies and insights into how even as things begin to be exposed more, because this is the deal, I'm just telling you right now, it's not hard to be faithful when nobody knows who you are. It's hard to be faithful when everybody knows who you are. And, and this is what I saw. I actually saw, like, uh, I don't know if you know those old, like, uh, 20s movies where there's, like, a sign on top of a building, you know? One of those stand-up signs sitting on top of a building. And I saw the word upper room. And the Lord replaced upper with trustworthy. And, and it said trustworthy room. And the Lord just, the Lord said, I can trust them with my presence. But I saw a war, an attack coming at the word trust. Hang with me on this. I saw, I actually saw missiles aimed at the word trust because if it can break the word trust off, it would turn into worthy room and it begins to turn into we believe we're worthy for what's happening rather than we're trustworthy for the presence. Does that make sense? And I saw, I saw that there was a real actually, and I saw that the Lord's been giving you um, kind of things that he's asking you to do. I saw you getting vigilant to protect the word trust. I saw you getting vigilant that I don't, I don't know, does that make sense? It just said trustworthy. And there was an attack to take the trust off and to turn it into worthy room, which is where we begin to believe that we're, we're, we're worthy of what's happening here rather than we're trustworthy to host his presence. But I, I say this, and we know this in movements, but I say this simply because, Michael, I really do believe that the Lord, I saw you like standing very vigilantly and making some decisions that other people questioned, that other people um, were challenging, um, that didn't make sense, but it was really birthed in this thing of, I refuse to allow, this will be a trustworthy room, not a worthy room, it will be a trustworthy room, and that that test of purity, and that you're going to, that the Lord's going to give you insight in how to keep pure relationships, how to keep pure motivations, and how to keep pure mission. And I really believe that those three things are probably what the enemy is gonna wanna dilute, but I feel like the Lord wants to put this place on display of how to actually keep those things pure. And there's not a ton of movements that have, but I feel like the Lord wants to put you in place to do that. So, um, yeah, amen. Um, uh, anybody in here have asthma? Raise, raise your hand if you have asthma, just be bold about this. Would you know, I know there's, would, if you got up and went outside and ran, would you be able to tell if you were healed by running? Yeah, okay, listen, if you have asthma and running would show you whether or not you're healed or not, we, get up and go run real quick. Get up and go run outside real quick. Yeah, just go outside and go run around the parking lot a little bit. Um, and then is anybody is anybody in here I, I, I saw I actually saw the Lord wanted to open up airways and um, I, I saw that there were some people that were waking up with night terrors struggling to breathe in the middle of the night is there anybody in here that's been waking up with uh, uh, either a heaviness night terrors struggling to breathe or just some type of night terrors at night is there anybody in here that's dealing with that I'm sure that's a 
vulnerable thing, but um, yeah, I see some back there real quick. Can, can we just do this real quick? Raise your hand real quick if, if and, and I, you know, this is a place we, we believe God for breakthrough, but I'm telling you right now, the Lord said he's gonna deal with this at night. He's going to, I, I, he's gonna break the power of whatever's been coming at you in the night season. I saw the Lord just bringing like real freedom in the night season rather than oppression. Will you just raise your hand one more time? If you're around him, will you just stretch your hands out to him? Just stretch your hands out to him. Can we just declare over the night season? We just declare freedom in the night season. We pray that whatever's been coming at you, that night terror, that thing that's been restricting breathing, that thing that's been trying to come and cause fear and anxiety in the midst of the night season, Lord, we, we just pray in the name of Jesus that peace is going to be your inheritance and portion in the night season. I saw the, the Lord said in, in Psalms that, that he gives rest, he gives rest that you're gonna be able to go to sleep. And so we just declare this over you in the name of Jesus. And we'd say tonight, like tonight, I, we're gonna begin to hear reports this week and the next week and the week after that of people that have been waking up in the middle of the night with terrors and a feeling like they can't breathe and anxiety and a weightiness on them. And that thing's gonna be broken and it's gonna be done and the Lord's actually gonna be good peace. I actually saw some of you waking up in the middle of the night with an overwhelming sense of peace, with an overwhelming sense of the presence of God and immediately going back to bed and the Lord doing this. So we just, we, we just stand with you in that in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Anybody come in right now that just went outside to run? Are they still out there? Well, are you coming back in? Anybody come in, get healed? I want you to be honest with me. Did you, did you go outside and run? Did you, did you notice a difference? I want you to be honest. Be honest with me. You did notice a difference. How? How would, what would have happened if you would have run before? Yep. So, so you actually have an inhaler you carry around with you. You went outside and ran. Normally, if you run, would you have to use an inhaler? And you just went outside and run. You don't, you don't need to use an inhaler at all. Come here real quick. Come here. Just share this real quick. Any, any, uh, Anybody that just went outside get healed just from running? Did you get breakthrough? Did you get breakthrough? <laughs> Come here real quick. Come here. Stay right there. Wait, wait. Come up here. No, no. Come up here. Look at her run up here. What happened? We ran and we... <laughs> I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. How long have you been dealing with asthma? My entire life. Can I ask how old you are? 22. 22, so pretty much your entire life you've been dealing with it, and what would have happened if you would have gone out and run, what would have normally, what would you have felt? I'd be back here and I wouldn't be able to talk to you right now. No, okay, listen, you would have, if you would have gone outside and run, you wouldn't be able to talk right now, and you feel, you feel freedom? There's no tightness whatsoever. Like, I could take a full breath. <laughs> I'm gonna get to you. No, she, she was trying to walk away without, she just said, are you good? Stay right there. I have a microphone and a title. What happened to you? There's no wheezing. Uh, how long have you dealt with asthma? Since I was like 10. Since you were 10. And no, and Since I started vaping. Okay, and if you, if you were to go outside and run, what would normally happen? 
I, I would honestly probably go home because I don't have my inhaler. That's why I didn't run out first. Yeah. <laughs> but you did go run. Yeah. No wheezing. Freedom. Freedom. Come on. That's awesome. Anybody else get breakthrough? I'm going to pray for people that didn't real quick. How, what, what happened to you? Where'd you? What'd you do growing up? Um, so I did a bunch of sports, cheer, volleyball, track, softball, anything that you could think of. And uh, for the longest time, they couldn't figure out, like, what it was that was stopping me from breathing in the middle of the night. So I was put on a breathing machine probably till I was 15, 16, and then uh, on an inhaler since. And what would have happened if you would go outside and run right now? Normally, what would happen? Oh, I would have to stop, turn around, and uh, immediately go to my inhaler. And you just went out and ran. You ran. Yeah. Did you look like an idiot? Uh, no, that's okay. You ran. I'm, that's a joke. <laughs> I was just like, you went out and ran, and you don't have to use an inhaler, and you're just that's free. No, I, I mean, the only reason why I'm heavy right now is because I'm in front of everybody. Yeah, no, no. That's all. People are like, I'm breathing. That's just called out of shape. That's not actually like asthma. You're not out of shape. That, I would be doing the same thing. It's my point. That's awesome. Come on. Is there anybody else? Wait with me real quick. Anybody else, get, anybody else get breakthrough with asthma? Okay, here's what I'm going to Did you get breakthrough? Come up here real quick. And then I'm going to pray for people that didn't get breakthrough. What happened? How long have you been dealing with asthma? Oh, my goodness. Probably all my life. Okay. Everybody's all my life is like 21 years. <laughs> they said anybody 15 over and my team was like, raise your hand. I'm like, I'm not 50 yet. You shut your face. How old are you? 20. <laughs> I, gave, uh, I gave her a year. Uh, so, so you've been dealing with your, your whole childhood. And what would happen normally if you went outside and ran? I mean, I probably would have panicked at first and gone out and kind of geared myself up for it. And I just, I mean, we ran all the way to like the far out parking and back. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm a little out of shape, but other than that, like I can breathe. <laughs> God doesn't heal that, but that's amazing. Come on, that's good news. That's good news, so good. Who didn't get healed? I want you to raise your hand if you didn't get healed. Can you just stand up real quick? This is not to point you out, but I'm just going to pray, and then I want you to go. I want you to stand up. These, I, I, listen, these are vulnerable moments. In all, in all honesty, people that are dealing with having to get breakthrough, whether it's back pain, asthma, whatever it is that you're dealing with, this is something that's with people all the time. It's something that they're constantly faced with, uh, uh, and it's something that's just weighing on them. And so sometimes, even right now, just the vulnerability of even saying I, I didn't get healed. But I just want to pray for you real quick. And I think sometimes, let me just say this: when it comes to healing. One of the things that stops us is, is we don't know what to do if people don't get healed. What if I step out and pray for you and you don't get healed? And it's, it, honestly, you just pray again. And hopefully it's in community where you see them again. So honestly, if I went to this church, I'd be looking, next time I saw them, I'd be like, how you doing? Is there a breakthrough? I'm gonna continue to pray for you. I'm gonna continue to stand for you. And these are the commitments that we make is that we're, gonna, we're believing God that the will of God is not asthma in your life. The will of God is not that you can't somehow breathe. And so as a community, when people don't get healed immediately, we just, first of all, we just celebrate the faith of the risk. We celebrate the, like, the fact that you went out and ran, then we just celebrate that. But then we just believe this. We're, we're gonna stand with you on this thing. And Jesus even had to, Jesus had to pray for people multiple times. And so we just, we just stretch your hands out to him. Father, I, I am believing for breakthrough. Lord, that you would respond to the faith that's in their heart. Lord, that you would open up the airways, their lungs, that they would freedom. And we just declare this over them. 
that even though they may not got breakthrough on that first time, God, there's gonna be a second time. And we're believing for breakthrough in this in the name of Jesus. And just as a community, we just stand with people for healing and breakthrough. We just say, you found a company of people that believe the will of God over your life is health, healing, and freedom. And that this isn't your portion. It's not your inheritance. And we just stand with you on this in the name of Jesus. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. I don't want to put you on the spot right now. But um, we prayed for a guy. I remember one time in London. It was a huge example for me where he went out, ran, didn't get healed, but came back in. Next day, he got up, and the Lord said, get up and go run. Next day, he got up, didn't get healed in the meeting, but got up the next day and went out and ran, completely healed. And so sometimes you just continue to press in for that thing. Amen? Yes? All right. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to get them out. I'm gonna go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, I really do love what God's doing here. And uh, like I said, I'll go get in the room with anybody who's hungry. I just wanna go after God and get in his presence. And what's been, what's been stewarded here is really profound. Can I come just as a pastor tonight and talk to you? First Corinthians chapter nine, First Corinthians chapter nine. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, and can, can I encourage you, can I come with all the Gen Z millennials in the room right now? I would encourage you to bring your actual physical Bible to church. Um, I, I know that so many of us, and I would actually encourage you to read the word with a physical Bible, mainly because your, um, your digital Bible is not gonna go with you to heaven. Your leather-bound Bible will go with you to heaven. That's the first reason, so I'm just saying. But there is something about there's something about engaging in worship, but there's something about engaging the word of God by actually opening it, seeing where it is on the page, seeing things that you've already written. As, as Michael opens up the word, you've already written some stuff down near it, that you're circling it, that you're underlining it. There's something about engaging the word of God. And I really believe that we need to be faithful even as we raise up the next generation, that there is something that we say, we're going to engage the word of God and it's just easier done with the physical Bible. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he tells them this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. He says, therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Paul, when he writes the Corinthians, is not making a comparison or a distinction between somebody who is running and somebody who isn't running. He's not making a distinction between somebody who is boxing and somebody who isn't boxing. Paul is making a distinction between somebody who is running aimlessly and somebody who is running with purpose. He's making a distinction between somebody who is boxing and hitting the mark and somebody who is boxing and not hitting anything. My concern right now is not the lack of activity. Paul is not, he is, he is not saying I was active while others were inactive. He's saying I was active and hit the mark and finished the, and crossed the finish line 
and there are others who ran but never, finished, but never crossed the finish line, and there are others who boxed but never hit the mark. One of the things that you need to be sober about in your life is not the lack of activity, but the wrong activity. Is that you can spend your entire life active and busy and yet never finish and never cross the finish line or never hit the mark. I think one of the ways I live with a soberness in my own life that when I get to the end of my life and I'm sitting on a porch somewhere overlooking a field with cows and horses and chickens and whatever else my wife's going to buy when I'm in my 90s. <laughs> that as I'm looking back over my life that I, I live with a soberness that I don't want to look back and say, I was busy, I was active, there was a lot happening, but I didn't actually, I didn't actually cross a finish line or I didn't actually hit the mark. The reason why Paul, I'm not going to get into all this right now, but, but the reason why Paul is able to say, I did not run aimlessly and I, and I hit the mark was because he actually knew what the mark was and was able to define what I'm going to call success in the kingdom. If you haven't wrestled with this question, what is success in the kingdom of God? If you haven't wrestled with that, then you have no idea what the bullseye is. Then you have no idea what the finish line is. And you're running you're just not sure if you're running aimlessly or with purpose. And one of the things that you've got to wrestle through, and I think there's two questions when it comes to success. I think that every believer, I'm going to see if my voice is going to make it tonight. <coughs> you can pray for me. Um, yeah. I'm going to make myself go outside and run. <coughs> every, every believer should be able to answer these two questions. One, my voice, man, and I need it for Tuesday because somebody's got to let the refs know that they're not doing a good job. Um, <laughs> you should be able to answer two questions. One is this. What does success look like for the people of God? And what does success look like for the child of God? Now, I'm not going to talk about what success looks like for the people of God because, quite frankly, I'm, I'm not sure there's many places in America that are answering that question as well as Upper Room is <clears throat> because this, the, the simple answer to what is success for the people of God is just the presence of God. That it's just the presence of God. There's not another answer for what success looks like for the people of God. It is the presence of God. If you want to define what revival is, revival is the presence of God. It's just the presence of God. So I, you guys are well, well versed in doing a great job around this thing. What does success look like for the people of God? It looks like the presence of God. But the question on what the success looks like for the child of God is something that you really have to wrestle with because if you don't get there, you'll never know if you're, how do you know if you're hitting the bullseye if you don't even know what the bullseye is? There needs to be a level of intentionality. There needs to be a level of intentionality in your pursuit of God. The Bible doesn't just say that he's a reward of those who seek him. He's a reward of those who diligently seek him. There's a level of intentionality and diligence that's required in our seeking of the Lord to know that, like, I know what the bullseye is. I know what the bullseye is. I know what I'm pointing my life at. 
And here's the reality. You cannot define success in the kingdom apart from eternity. You cannot, you gotta hear me on this. You cannot define what success for the child of God is apart from eternity. Everything will be measured against eternity. And the reality is this, is that John 15, John 15 says that your life is supposed to bear fruit. John 15 says, listen, you're supposed to bear fruit. You're supposed to bear a lot of fruit. But it says this, you're supposed to bear fruit that remains. You're supposed to bear fruit that lasts. This is very important to understand because every area of your life should be manifesting fruit, but not just fruit, not short-term fruit. It should be manifesting long-term fruit. This is hard to understand sometimes when you're younger because we are looking for things, we are trying to measure success in a way that can only be measured against long-term fruit and ultimately eternity. I, I, was, in, I was in full-time youth ministry for uh, over a decade and then, um, so, so, and then I've been out of youth ministry now, I don't know, out of 15, 16, 17 years, 20 really kind of in the middle of it. And when I sit down with youth pastors now, one of the things that I try to get them to do is to focus on now what they'll be talking about in 20 years. So, so in youth ministry, there's like, a, you know, there's, when I look back, I, I say, listen, you need to focus on now. Build now what you'll be talking about in 20 years. Because there's, there's, there's this temptation to focus on now and to build things now that you won't even be talking about in 20 years. It won't even matter. Let alone eternity, just 20 years. I remember when I look back, things that made me happy, things that made me sad, they don't make me happy or sad. When I look back, how big the youth group was, how many kids showed up, how great my sermon was, whether or not we pulled off this, you know, illustration or whatever else. I look back now and those don't make me happy or sad. We're not talking about them. I mean, this may, this, I know that my life is ministry, so I'm giving you a ministry example, but I've never once, I sat with Michael today, he didn't look at me and go, hey, Benny, August 2001, how many kids were at your youth group that Wednesday night? <laughs> nobody's ever asked me. Now, back then it was stressing me out, but 20 years later, nobody's asked me that question. It's not what we're talking about. You know what we're talking about? The kids that were in youth group, they're still following Jesus. They're all in their 30s. Crystal's one of them. They're in their 30s, 40s. Got kids, love Jesus, served in their church, changing the world. That's what makes me happy now. You know what makes me sad? The kids that aren't. The kids that no longer follow Jesus, the ones that are in sin, the ones that have left following him. My point is this, is that you have to begin to set your life up. If you don't know what success is, then how do you actually build right now for what's going to matter in 20 years? You have to begin to ask right now, am I even going to be talking about this in 20 years? We are so driven towards things, but are missing the mark. We're not actually crossing any finish lines because we haven't taken time to say what really matters. Ultimately, it's not just even 20 years. We're talking about eternity that you have to measure things by. The Bible, the Bible is very clear that this life is short. 
It's, it's short. I know that sometimes, whether it's 70 years, 60 years, 90 years, it feels like a long time. But in the scope of 70 trillion times 70 trillion years, in the scope of eternity, this life is short. It is a moment. It is a breath. The Bible describes it as a breath, a vapor, grass that grows and withers. This moment, this life is short. But the other thing that the Bible clearly describes is this, is that one day you're going to stand before God. Not only is this life short, but one day you will stand before God. Now, as a believer who has had their sins washed by the blood of the Lamb, who have accepted the work of Christ on the cross, you will stand before God righteous because of the work of Jesus. You will not have to give account for your sins, but hear me on this. You will have to give account for your life. And so what I try to do consistently is just ask myself these questions. One, is this going with me into eternity? Two, is Jesus even going to ask me about this? You cannot define success in the kingdom. You cannot define a bullseye without asking yourself, when I stand before God one day, is he even going to bring this up? Is it even going to go with me? I'm going to give you, you'll have to, you'll have to translate all of my ministry examples into wherever you're at in life. But in our world, we define success still very much by worldly metrics, bestseller lists and, album, and, and charts and who knows you and followers and likes and who you're mentoring. And these were all things that were measured by. But the reality is, is that Jesus isn't going to ask me about those. See, the only, let me just give you, I'm, I'm just going to get straight to the point. It's this. Success for the child of God is this, faithfulness and obedience. Now, I'm going to put this little caveat on it, birthed out of intimacy. Not out of duty or obligation, but I'm going to set that one aside. It's going to be a given for me tonight, all right? But faithfulness and obedience. And I would even say this. I would say that loving God and loving people is still something that's birthed out of obedience. When he comes and says, here's my command for you. Love me with everything you have. Love others the same way. That ultimately success for the child of God, there's no other way to measure it but this, faithfulness and obedience. Which means this, that I live in a world that's measuring success, that there's metrics out there. But if I don't consistently ask myself this question, will this go with me into eternity? And will Jesus even ask me about it? I've, I've written a few books, and um, the first book I wrote years ago was just kind of like a, kind of like a manual for young people in our movement. But the second book I wrote is called Rooted, and and uh, it, it did it did pretty well. And and uh, so, so the next book we were pretty excited about. I write it, and 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 if you've ever written a book, it's it's a pretty like vulnerable raw thing. I don't know how to describe it. Like way more vulnerable than preaching. Like, I'm up here tonight, if you like me or don't like me, I don't know, like, you know, I, who knows? But, but, but a book is like, I don't know, you're just, you're giving birth to something that's just different. And, and then, and then you're kind of insecure about it. 
It's almost like you have a, it's almost like you have a baby that you're not convinced is cute. <laughs> but you really, really need people not to tell you your baby's ugly because it's going to crush you if they do. Do you know what I'm saying? You've never had that experience. You're like, I'm not sure my baby's cute, but please, please don't tell me my baby's ugly because it's really going to hurt my feelings. Like, that's what it's like to write a book just super vulnerable and then people buy it or don't buy it it's all this type of stuff and uh oh man my voice it's gonna make it guys so so we cut so three mile walk i'm excited put a you know just it's a lot of work writing's not super easy for me all this stuff and when you write a book it's really anticlimactic. you push really hard you turn it on a deadline, and the publisher says, great, it'll be out in nine months. And then for the next nine months, they're getting into gear for, you know, promotion and marketing plans, and they, and they set a release date months and months in advance. So I get my book. I turn it in at the end of 2019, the end of 2019. Well, all of a sudden, the pandemic hits, and they had set my book to release in June. So we're a couple days in. I don't know if you know this in Texas, but there was a pandemic that hit America. Did you know that? <laughs> Are you guys aware of that? Because I got friends in Midland, Texas that don't know there is a whole virus thing. So, so the pandemic hits, but we're like, I'll be all right. It's going to be over pretty quick. And then it kind of wasn't over, but we're still like, you know what? People need this message of courage and faith. And so we're getting ready to launch it in June. <clears throat> and when you, you know, we make all the videos and you get all the stuff together. And again, vulnerable. You're a little bit nervous already. You're not quite sure if this baby's cute, not cute. It's the whole thing. And about a week before we're going to release the book, we're going to release it was like June 4th on a Tuesday. All of this stuff was happening in the nation around George Floyd and all the, and, and literally cities were on fire. Sacramento was one of them. And we're already kind of like, okay, not sure. Like, should we even be talking about my book? Like, it doesn't feel like we should even be talking about my book right now. Like there's other things and had people in my church that were hurting and you know, we're just trying to navigate this stuff. And then a few days before we're gonna launch the book, it comes out that the Tuesday we launch the book is gonna be Blackout Tuesday where the entire social media and internet just went black for a day. That's the day we're going to launch my book. Yeah. Maybe the most anticlimactic book release launch ever. It, like, I, I, I just came to our team. I'm like, guys, we cannot talk about this book. Like, I, we can't. And not only that, the whole internet's like, we can't. And so we just didn't even mention it. Everything we done, like a week later, I kind of sheepishly like, hey, I released the book a week ago. <laughs> but I think it's ugly, <laughs> you know. And so, so, so as an author, the, the, the world wants to say, well, here's what success looks like. It looks like some best-selling list somewhere. It looks like this. But you know what success looks like? Faithfulness and obedience. So in that moment, what happens is, is, is I go, okay, you, you know, and you, you're, you're, you're a little bum, you're a little whatever, you're just going to sell, not sell. None of that matters. 
Because I go, I'm going to stand before God one day. Is he going to ask me how many books I sold? Right? This is the perspective. So when I stand before him one day, he's not going to be like, Manny, how many books do you sell for three-mile walk? I mean, I, listen, God, I mean, it was, do you remember Blackout Tuesday? There was a whole thing going on. It was like, and so we had a whole plan, but we weren't really able to implement it. He goes, I don't want excuses. How many books do you sell? Well, not a lot. He's like, you know who sold a lot of books? Joel Osteen. That's who sold a lot of books. Joel, get on in there, buddy. Well done. Well done with you and all your book sales in the middle of the pandemic. Man, and I don't even know what to do with you right now. You're going to stay right there with your low book sales. Of course, that's not going to happen, right? What he's going to ask me is this. Banning, were you faithful with what I gave you? Were you obedient with what I asked of you? That's it. He's not going to bring up book sales. He's not going to bring up Instagram likes. He's not going to bring up, he's not going to bring up, he's going to say, Banning, were you faithful with what I gave you? Were you obedient with what I asked of you? And so a book, this, you're gonna, this is going to be my book. A book is simply, when I come to the Lord with a book, he's not going to ask me about book sales. I'm just going to say, Lord, this is my effort at being faithful with the message that you gave me and obedient to encourage the body of Christ. What you do with it is up to you. That's all that's gonna matter. If I have any other definition of success, I won't hit the mark. See, see, this is, we are, we are trying to define success all the time, but we have to, uh, I mean, this is all ministry stuff, but somebody, they're gonna ask me, uh, listen, coming out to the upper room, stoked to be here, um, and I'll, I'll get home and they'll say, hey, how, how was it? And, and I'll try to give some measure of answer. They'll be like, hey, how'd the night go? How's your sermon? And I'll try to go like, man, you know, people were lined up two hours before the service and, um, and the worship was, you know, an hour and a half and it was, the presence of God was in the room and some people got healed. I'm gonna try to put some metrics around it, but do you wanna know the truth? Or, or they'll ask, how was your sermon? You wanna know, how, you know the truth? If they ask me how my sermon went tonight, like, I don't know. I'll let you know in 20 years. I, I actually don't know how this goes or doesn't go. Because, because here, how, how tonight go? Listen, guys, and, and listen, God moved. We celebrate. Are you with me on that? But here's what we're really after. That what God did tonight in 20 years is still bearing fruit. That in 20 years... We look back and say, God did something in my life that night and it's still bearing fruit. It shifted something to me. Then, then say, how'd the night go? I don't know, I'll let you in 20 years. If it's still bearing fruit, what a great message. If it's not bearing fruit, it sucked. <laughs> Are you with me on this? We have to get to that point where we stop trying to measure everything by short term right now. See, the problem is, is we have a generation I'm including myself in the generation. We have a generation that is driven not by a need for faithfulness. They're not driven by a, need, by a passion for faithfulness and obedience. They're driven by insecurity and by a need for significance. 
Can I challenge you on this? We have a generation that is being driven by a need for significance birthed out of insecurity rather than a passion just to be faithful and obedient above all else. And the problem is, is when I allow insecurity to drive my life, it will force me to short-term fruit. Because I need short-term fruit right now to feel better about myself. <coughs> Ultimately, insecurity is this. Insecurity is, is I need something other than Jesus to be complete. So security is this. There's a, there's a passage that Paul writes in Colossians where he says, we are complete in him. Paul has this common theme throughout his writing that in Christ you're complete, lacking nothing. You don't need anything else but Jesus. So, so when we come and we sing these songs, all I need is you. You're all I want, Jesus. Everything is found in you. But we don't actually believe that. Because we need Jesus and something else to make us secure. Insecurity is needing something other than Jesus to feel secure. Now, in my world, it's I need Jesus and a certain amount of book sales. I need Jesus and a certain amount of Instagram followers. I need Jesus and a certain amount of people showing up on a Sunday. I need Jesus and a certain amount of leaders who know my name. Maybe in your world, it's I need Jesus and that promotion. I need Jesus and people to like me. I need Jesus and a spouse. I need Jesus and something else. It's Jesus plus something that actually makes me secure, not just Jesus. And when it's not just Jesus, then it will push you to short-term fruit. It'll also push you to comparison. This is why comparison is such a killer. Because if, if, if faithfulness and obedience is the goal, then it, it doesn't matter how many books I sell. I just, I just want to be faith, I just want to be obedient and faithful to you. I, that's all I want. I don't want anything else. If I'm insecure and need something else, I begin to look, I begin to look at other people's lives and I begin to compare my life to their life. He... Ultimately, this is why intimacy is so important because intimacy just continually aligns your heart to this thing. Jesus, I, I, just, I just want to please you and I just want to be obedient and faithful. I can tell you, the older I get, and I, I still preach vision here and there, but man, I, in my 20s and 30s, it was just all vision preaching. And I, I realize now I, I'm less driven by vision and more driven by just obedience. I just want to do, and, and here's the problem. There, there's a sense of entitlement that creeps in if this isn't your goal. I, be, I remember I was praying one time in the, I, I, I was on staff at Bethel for a long time, and I remember I was in my early 20s praying in the prayer house, and I'm a vision guy. I'm like passionate. I want to change the world. We're going to fill stadiums. We're going to do all this stuff. We're going to mobilize a generation for revival. And I remember things were not happening as fast as I thought they should. And I was in the prayer house. And I wasn't just praying. I was like irritated praying, frustrated praying, you know, because things just weren't happening like I thought they should. And in the middle of me complaining before the Lord that things weren't happening at the pace I thought they should, all of a sudden, I just stopped and realized I'm praying as if God owes me my destiny. 
I began to, I, I, I just said, I just realized I'm like, and I got before the Lord, I said, God, you don't owe me my destiny. You don't owe me anything. Can I tell you this right now? Am I allowed to look all you in the eyes and just tell you this? God doesn't owe you your destiny. God doesn't owe you your prophetic words. God doesn't owe you your dreams. He doesn't owe you anything. You owe him everything. You didn't hang on a cross and die for him. He hung on a cross and died for you. And I, I just said, God, and there's a sense of entitlement that comes in. When, when faithfulness and obedience is not the target for you, then what begins to happen, when you, when you live in insecurity and you're looking for something other than Jesus to bring security to you, then all of a sudden you don't get the promotion and you're irritated with the Lord. Why didn't I get that promotion? Why haven't you done what I thought you were gonna do yet? And we begin to approach God as if he owes us something, as if we're entitled something. Yeah, it's all quiet in here right now. You know why it's quiet? Because I'm right. No, this, this thing creeps in on us. This thing creeps in on us where when faithfulness and obedience is not, I just want to be faithful and obedient. And if that looks like, you know, pastoring a small group of kids out in the middle of nowhere doing whatever, if that looks like sitting in a cubicle, if that, like, God, I just want to be faithful and obedient to you because I'm going to stand before you one day. And I just want you to be able to say, you did what I asked you to do. You were faithful with what I gave you. Not all of your dreams came true and your destiny was fulfilled and every prophetic, like, like, and I love all of that stuff, but I'm not entitled to that. Do you know how easy we fall into this issue of entitlement because we have a wrong definition of success? It's funny how, I, I remember I, I got invited out to this political thing. I didn't want to go to it, but this is a few years ago, and I, I flew out. And so I, I just got on a, I got on a plane for flying from Sacramento, landed Denver, and then we're headed to New York. And it was on a Monday, and the event was on Tuesday. So I land in Denver, and I get a voicemail from the organizer saying, we're so excited to have you with us next Tuesday. I'm in Denver. And I'm like, I look online, I'm like, oh, I just... I completely got the date wrong. So I got on a plane, flew right back to Sacramento. But because of that, like when you fly a lot, you always get the seat, you, you either get upgraded or you get the seat you want. Well, because now I bought such a last minute ticket, I was the last row, the last row of the plane that didn't recline up against the bathroom. Very limited, you know, no, 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 uh, no leg room, middle seat. And I remember I get on that plane, didn't recline, middle seat, last row, and I just was so irritated. I remember getting on that thing, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm just like, oh, it sucks. Why do I see, you know, and like, and, and I'm sitting in that back row, and all of a sudden, I just stopped. And this is going to sound super melodramatic, but I'm melodramatic, and this is what's going on in my head. I just stopped and thought, what am I doing? There are literally people that have gone before me who have been burned at the stake for the sake of the gospel. 
There are people who have sold themselves into slavery to reach people. There are people that have sold everything, abandoned everything, left everything at great cost to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And I'm complaining about a middle seat in a back row flying to a five-star hotel. That spirit of entitlement gets in when I lose sight of this. Jesus, I owe you everything. All I want to be is faithful and obedient. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me first class. You, like There are people that have gone before. How do I let that thing creep in? How do I complain as much as I do that things aren't happening as much as I want or this didn't happen or that didn't happen? Jesus, I just want to be faithful and obedient. That's it. That's it. I don't. Everything else, everything else is just, just bonus. I just, I just found like, I, God, I just want to find out what moves your heart, and I just want to do that. Guys, yeah. we are so infatuated with fame and influence and numbers. Rich Wilkerson Jr., who's a friend, I adore him, love him. But the Lord's really opened up the whole uh, like entertainment world to, the, to him and a handful of guys. And I remember when it began to happen, Twitter was kind of bigger at that time than Instagram, and Kanye West had started to attend his church in Miami. And Kanye West, in an interview, mentioned his pastor, Rich. He said that phrase, well, my pastor rich. And we all knew who he was talking about. And all of a sudden on Twitter, that clip was just getting retweeted by all these young leaders. Oh, it was just all these young leaders retweeting Kanye mentioning rich. And it was this kind of like, oh man, Kanye just mentioned rich. Oh man, that's so, how cool is that? And, all. and I just sat there and this has nothing to do with rich. Rich is doing what God's called rich to do. But I just sat there grieved thinking when did we become so impressed that a celebrity mentioned a name when did that happen when did we become impressed by who you're mentoring when do we become so impressed by how big your fault like when like the problem is is we're not impressed by faithfulness and obedience we're impressed by something else Guys, as if we're gonna stand, as if you're gonna stand before God one day, it's like Jonathan, good to see you. What uh I thought that was a word of knowledge. Yeah. You got a name tag on, my friend. So um, um he's gonna say, he's not gonna say, Jonathan, you're at the gates. What celebrity did you mentor? What celebrity did you know? Well, you know. Uh, I didn't really, nobody, come on now, Rich, did you see that? He was uh, pastoring Kanye. How impressive is that? That was, is, that ama- is that amazing? Rich, well done, Rich. Get in there, buddy. Who you got again? You, nobody? And you're like, well, you know, I don't know. I kind of knew a guy that did a local commercial for a Ford dealer. Nope. <laughs> like, God's not gonna ask him that, right? We, we actually are more impressed by by fame and influence than we are just by faithfulness, by, 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 you know, we're not impressed by, 
the guy that took that other guy out to lunch that nobody knows, just loving on him faithfully. We're unimpressed by the people who come and set chairs up consistently. See, I'm telling you right now, you need to begin to shift a little bit and understand there are things, we are applauding things that Jesus is not applauding and we're impressed by things that Jesus could care less about. And, and, and we just need to go, I just want to be, he, he is impressed by faithfulness and obedience. That's it. That's what moves his heart. I remember when we planted, we planted our church and it grew pretty quick. I mean, you know, I was only three hours away from Bethel and we brought like seven famous worship leaders with us and, it just, you know, grew and, and we were, you know, and I have a need for significance. I love when numbers are there and things are happening. And I remember we had one of those, we'd grown to three services and, um, and it was one of those Sundays, you know, where just everything just worked, you know, it's dialing, worship is great. All the, you know, everything was there. Services were full. My sermon was just money. It's not always, but that Sunday, it was good. And in between services, I, there was a lady that I was out just talking to people in between services. A lady walked by. And I hadn't met her. She's probably in her late 40s, early 50s. I just said, hey, how are you doing? We haven't met yet. What's your name? And she immediately kind of sheepishly begins to talk to me. She said, hey, I'm kind of new here. I've just been coming for the last few months. And she said, we have like a, a, a three-week kind of class on how to get involved. It's called Elements. She goes, I, I, I've only gone to the first Elements, though. I, I didn't go back. She says, I deal with social anxiety, and I just feel so nervous around people. And, but I've been coming on Sundays. And she was like apologetically telling me this. I just stopped for a minute, and I was like, oh, don't even worry about it. Don't worry about elements. Get to that whenever you get to that. How cool that you're coming on Sundays. Tell me a little of your story. You know, my wife, she's dealt with some anxiety stuff too. And man, I just, that's awesome you're coming. I took her back to this kind of green room we have for volunteers, introduced her to a few people. It was five minutes. Go back in to another full service and amazing worship and a really just fire sermon. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm driving home on that Sunday afternoon. So I'm driving home, I just kind of turned my heart to the Lord. And you know what he talked to me about? I mean, here's the crazy thing. You know what he talked to me about? He didn't talk to me about the crowds. He didn't talk to me about the lights. He didn't talk to me about my sermon, and he should have because it was good. <laughs> you know what he did? As I'm driving home, he just said, Banning, he said, thank you so much for taking some time to love on that lady today. He said, thanks for taking time just to see her and thanks for taking time to make sure she knows she's valued. That's all he talked to me about. He just talked to me about that woman. And I, and I just thought, I just, I wanna find out what moves the heart of God. And I just wanna do that. And see, here's the hard part, guys. Can I tell you this? It's gonna go against every worldly thing you've learned. I'm convinced, and I don't wanna say 100%, but I'm convinced almost everything that moves the heart of God is done in secret. Maybe not that nobody knows, but, but, but I'm almost convinced that what moves the heart of God, what pleases him most, it's done in secret. See, I, it, it, it's, it's things you can't post on social media. 
as I was loving on that lady, I didn't say, hey, can you hold on a second? Because this is a great moment that I'm loving on you and I'm just gonna get somebody to take a picture of us so they can post that I'm loving on you and your social anxiety right now. And like, no, like, I'm, I'm, can, can I just say this as a blanket statement? What moves the heart of God, you can't actually post on Instagram. It's done in secret. It's decisions you make in secret. It's people you love in secret. It's, it's, it's faithfulness and obedience above all else. You'll never get there out of duty and obligation. You'll only get there out of intimacy and love. I mean, you'll, you'll only get there if you just fall in love with him. You, you, it won't, you won't sustain that life if it's out of duty or obligation, but it's still just faithfulness and obedience. That's all I wanna do. So many times people are so frustrated with their life and I'm like, are you disobeying God somewhere? This is the question I ask when people are so frustrated with their life. They're frustrated that something's not happening or they're not where they should be. I'm like, I, I feel like your name's Sherry, is that right? Okay. Um, she also has a name tag. And, um, but, you know, so Sherry's frustrated and all this type of stuff. But I just say, Sherry, is there somewhere where you're disobeying God? Like just deliberately looking at God and saying, no, I'm not gonna do what you just asked me to do. Are you trying to be faithful? She says, I am trying to be faithful. There's nowhere I'm disobeying God. Then I said, I don't know, what's the, what's the problem? What's the, you know what the problem is? A wrong definition of success. Come on, Sherry. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Sherry. <laughs> it's just a wrong definition. We get so frustrated. Let me end with this. We'll pray for people. But I... Um, if you have not clearly defined what the bullseye is, then you will have a lot of activity but never hit the mark. If you haven't, if you haven't defined what the finish line is, you'll have a lot of running but never actually cross the finish line. Success for the people of God is the presence of God. Success for the child of God is faithfulness and obedience above all else. Find out what moves the heart of God and go do that and almost always understand it's gonna be in, in, in secret. I remember I was, uh, um, when we started doing our youth conferences in 1999, I was 23 years old and we started doing Jesus Culture Conferences in Reading. But I didn't preach at them for like four or five years. I hosted them, but I don't know, I just didn't preach at them for like a little too. <coughs> but slowly but surely, I would start kind of preaching like a morning service at our conference. And I remember in like 2000, I remember I was probably, I don't know, in my mid-20s, late 20, mid to late 20s. And I invited Judah Smith to come in. Judah was like an up and coming, he was still like an associate youth pastor, but was, 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 was one of the main youth speakers in the nation. And was already just a brilliant communicator anointed. And I remember he came in, spoke Friday night, and it was brilliant. It was everything. I mean, it was revelatory. It was convicting. It was funny. He was giving words of knowledge at the end. He's like, somebody here had a Haagen-Dazs bar. I saw you eat it, throw the wrapper out, and then went and puked. Who is that? Some girl's <laughs> like, that's me crying. We're like, oh my gosh. Like, like I kid you not. That's, it was that. So the next morning, the next morning, I'm gonna get up and preach. And as a preacher, it was one of those mornings where I was not convinced about my word at all. Like I did, I, I wasn't sure my word was good at all. And I'm sitting on the front row 
and uh, at Bethel, sitting there in the front row, and I have my face in my hands. And I'm just like, oh God, oh God. And you know, everybody's like, oh, just look at him interceding for a generation, just, <laughs> just asking God to just encounter a generation with fresh manna. And, and I was like, oh God. And all I was saying was, oh God, oh God, oh God, please don't let me suck. This is my honest prayer. I'm like, God, please don't let me suck. Please don't let me suck in front of Judah. And the Lord spoke to me. I mean, this is, uh, this is 20 years ago, and it's still something that's pretty marking for me. The Lord spoke to me. He said, Banning, he said, you have a choice. He said, you can be a preacher or you can be a son. He said, if you choose to be a preacher, you'll be good sometimes. Other times, you won't be that good. He said, if you choose to be a son, you'll be great all the time because you are a fantastic son. I just said, Lord, can I be a preacher this morning? <laughs> just this morning, God. <laughs> and I, I just said, I just said, God, I just want to be a son. I, I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to be a leader. I, I don't want to, I just want to be a son. That's it. I want to be a son that pleases the heart of the Father because of my obedience and faithfulness. I just want to be an obedient son, that's it. Guys, here, here's the reality. When I, when I leave here tonight, tomorrow, God's not going to talk to me about this sermon. He's not going to talk to me as a preacher is what I mean. He doesn't come to me and be like, man, such a great preacher word, such a great whatever. Just, he comes to me as a father to a son. He'll just grab me by the face and just be like, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for loving people well. Thank you for sharing my heart. Like he'll just, he comes. I don't want to be a preacher. I just want to be a son. And I just want to be a son that's obedient and faithful to him above all else. I just want to stand before him one day. And I think at, 40, at 46, I think you can get it at 22 and 25 and 30. I think you can actually shift your life just to go, here's all I want my life to be. I, I just want to be faithful and obedient. That's it. I just want to be a son that moves the heart of God. That's it. And, and if loving on some lady that is... That, it, that is feeling ashamed because she doesn't go to a course. If loving on her is what moves his heart, but nobody knows that I did that, then so be it. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. We just want to be sons and daughters who just move his heart above all else. To shift that thing. So many of us are trying to be something else. We just are trying to be worship leaders and we're trying to be, you know, wealthy and we're trying to be whatever else rather than just being just a son or a daughter. I remember I spoke this message a while ago and there was these two worship leaders. One of them got up, was leading worship, got off the stage and was like, was that okay? And the other guy goes, you're a great son. <laughs> that was his answer to him. You're a great son. <laughs> 